0: i am kind of taking this from last week's message. My last week's message was the last message on the wineskin. That was message number four. And you can go to my YouTube channel, which is Apostle Ken, and watch all four of them. Uh, But this one, I talked about streamlining last week, and I talked about the aerodynamics of flight and how that there are four dynamics of flight you have to have lift and thrust and weight and drag. All of those are your dynamics of flight. Without those, you can't get off the ground. But to the, one of the dynamics is called the dynamic of, of drag. And you would think just by talking about that word that it would be a bad thing, but it actually can be good or it can be bad in aviation. Uh, drag, induced drag, what's called induced drag, actually makes you fly. I used to be a pilot. Causes you to fly. It actually, when you take off in an airplane, you take off into the wind. When you land, you land into the wind. Uh, If you ever have to land in a tailwind or take off in a tailwind, which I did one time, your landing is going to be longer. Possibly you won't make the runway at the end there. And if you're trying to take off, you take off with a tailwind. It takes you longer to get off the ground. There was a student at Winter Haven one time, he was about to run out of gas, and he landed his airplane on uh, the rental airplane that he was uh, soloing in on a dirt road just uh, right next to Highway 27 near Champions Gate there, back before it was all built. Uh, This is back in the 90s. And so they asked me to go up there and get the airplane and bring it back, and so I had to take some fuel with us, and we took 10 gallons of fuel and got up there, and Uh, But I didn't have but one. When we got the airplane out to Highway 27, we had to take off on Highway 27, but I had a tailwind. And so I didn't have any power lines, thankfully. And so the fire department was there, but he he wouldn't turn on his light and block traffic for us because he has to report it. But he was there watching for us. So he started motioning like this, you know. And so I bring the airplane out into the highway. I pull the th- push the throttle forward, but I'm in a tailwind. And it's taken me forever to get off the ground. And I'm just going and going and going. And finally, I get up enough speed and I start pulling back on the yoke. And the airplane comes off the ground. But in front of me is a heel on 27. And so before I get off the ground very far, I'm landing again because of this tailwind. Finally, I get off the ground and turn and bring the airplane back to Winterhaven. <clears throat> but a perfect circumstances is the circumstances of having a headwind. But when you get into the air, what you want to have is a tailwind when you're going to your destination. Now, if you're not going to your destination or, or if you don't have a tailwind in your destination, it's going to take you longer to get there because you have a headwind. I had a headwind bringing a an airplane back from Gatlinburg, Tennessee one time. I had a headwind of, of uh, I forget how many miles per hour. And I was, it was at night, I was flying through Georgia, and I was following I-75 down to bring that airplane into Florida. And the traffic on 75 had such a headwind, the traffic on 75 was going faster than I was. That's how much headwind I had. So you, when you're flying, you're, you want a tailwind, but when you're taking off, you want a headwind. But there's also what is called drag, induced drag, gets you off the ground, causes you to fly. Induced drag are things like what we did today, worshiping, what we did today and having the men come down here and dance. Didn't you like that, Debbie? Having them dance down here, that's induced drag. What that does, it helps lift you off the ground. Other induced drag is worship and prayer. Other induced drag is decreeing and and, uh, releasing the word of the Lord from the Bible and prophetically. Another induced drag is also uh, um, fasting is an induced drag. I was glad that Adam mentioned fasting. But the Lord spoke to me, and there's also what is called parasite drag. That's a drag you don't want to have. Parasite drag can come from an imperfection in the airplane's wing, or maybe the airplane is dirty and it hasn't been cleaned up, you know, and so you've got dirt on there which slows your wind speed down, causes a parasite drag. But all of that can be dealt with. Parasite drag can be dealt with. And one of the things that's happening to us today in the body of Christ is that we have too much parasite drag that we're not dealing with. We've just allowed that to become a part of who we are rather than streamlining ourselves to get us into our destination. 2019 will be a year to streamline. The, I, the Lord keeps saying this over and over to me. You've got to streamline your life. You've got to make your life more simple in 2019. And that's not dumbing down. What that is is getting rid of junk. You've got to make it more simple in 2019. Our lives, our church, our ministries, our cities, our states, our nation are in a need of reformation. But to bring that reformation, God needs a people who will streamline their lives to help bring that reformation about. Because God's going to use you and I to bring about the reformation of this nation, the reformation of lives. He's going to use us. That's the way he always has worked. He's worked through people. We have to be able to move quickly without interruption and drag. Say move quickly. And you might think of that in terms of the physical, but he's make more thinking in terms of the spiritual. That we have to begin moving quickly and begin moving without interruption and without drag. Those things that have been dragging you down, you need to deal with them right now before we get too far into 2019. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is out of the New American Standard. Now, I love this verse of Scripture because it starts out talking about the cloud of witnesses. And they had, uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews had just showed us who the cloud of witnesses was in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And we're going to look at that in a minute. But then he begins saying, since we have these people of faith that have, done, that have run such an awesome race, he says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily ensnares us. He left the cloud of witnesses, and I love talking about the cloud of witnesses because they are our example. But I've had a few visions of the cloud of witness, and actually one dream. And the cloud of witnesses, the people who are in heaven right now, they actually are there with purpose. They're not there just plucking on a harp and having a great time, and when we all get to heaven and stuff like that, what a day of rejoicing. They actually live life purposely in heaven. Let say that again. Their life is lived with purpose. Even Revelation, I think is the fifth chapter, talks about those who have been martyred are praying under the altar. They're in heaven, but they're praying. Who, What, are, what and who are they praying for? You and I. This great cloud of witnesses, the reason he shows us this here, is they're witnessing you and I. They're looking at us. And Isaiah may be saying, this is what I prophesied about. Joel may be saying, this is that that I talked about right now in America. They're looking at us from a cloud of witness standpoint. They're not just up there hanging out. They see what the body of Christ is doing in the earth. And I believe that they're rooting us on and praying for us. And our, our mind has been so messed up with, with uh what heaven is really like because there's purpose in heaven things that you like here on this earth like dark chocolate they're going to have that in heaven except it's not going to put on any calories you know it's not going to have any weight added to it you know Pam and I love dark chocolate you know and things that I like you know like fish I mean Jesus ate fish when he was here on the earth they're going to have that to eat No, it's going to be the best five-star dining. Actually, it's going to be seven-star dining you've ever had. But in Hebrews, the 11th chapter now, we're going to look at the cloud of witnesses in verse 32. He says here, What more shall I say, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection." Others uh, experienced mocking and scourging. Yes, chains and imprisonment. But look with me in verse 40. I had not planned to do this right here, but I want you to see verse 40. Because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they, talking about the cloud of witnesses, should not be made perfect. In other words, what he's saying, the fullness of their promise could not come about without you and I. See, some of the things these prophets of the Old Testament prophesied about still haven't come to pass. And that's why the earth groans and travails awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. Not the parasite tribe, but the God tribe who has streamlined their life. And so a lot of them are waiting. When I had the vision of, of Oral Roberts... Telling me to tap into the voice of healing. I had a vision of heaven on the back wall of a church in 2013, August 10th. And Oral Roberts was in among thousands, maybe millions of people. And he looked at me and he said, tap into the voice of healing. Because he wants to see the fullness of that come into the earth. Not just what he had, but he wants to see the fullness of that take place. It's a good word there. What we just read was the race that they ran. They, they were not perfect people. It talks about Samson. It talks about David. It talks about Rahab the harlot in this chapter. They were not perfect people. God's not looking for perfect people. But he is looking for people who will streamline their lives to the point that they go after him and begin leaving a legacy in the earth. What will they say about you after you're gone? Just think about Catherine Kuhlman. They still talk about her. They still talk about Oral Roberts. They still talk about Kenneth Hagan. I, I, I watch every once in a while a YouTube video of Kenneth Hagan dancing all over the place. Getting in the Holy Ghost and just dancing everywhere. I watched a YouTube video of uh, 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 Osteen, not Joel Osteen, but his dad, John Osteen. Watch him getting full of the Holy Ghost back in the 70s. And preaching with such fire and vigor. And I've watched YouTube videos of William Branham. There's not many of those out there. And what there is is black and white. Of him healing people under the power of God. And all of these are witnessing us right now. They're looking at us and they're saying, are they going to tap into the voice of healing? Are they going to tap into the destiny that I prophesied about in the earth? Billy Graham's in heaven right now wondering... Are the evangelists in America, are they gonna rise up? Or are they just gonna sit down and wait for somebody else to do it? I fully believe. I've had also had a dream about Billy Graham and a dream and vision, one vision about Oral Roberts and one dream about Oral Roberts and one dream about George Beverly Shea who used to sing for uh, Billy Graham. But Billy Graham is in heaven right now saying, Come on, guys, I have left you a mantle in the earth. Will you take this thing up? Will you streamline your lives to the point that you'll take up Billy Graham's mantle, that you'll take up or Roberts' mantle, or Catherine Kuhlman's mantle? Will you streamline your life to the point where you, 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 you say, listen, I'm just going to forsake all and I'm going after everything God is? It's a good word there. In this Hebrews 12, he says, laying aside every encumbrance and sin. And in this chapter, this verse here, we read that it easily entangles us. It tangles us up. We start moving forward, and all of a sudden, encumbrances, parasite drag, sin, begins tangling us up so that all of a sudden we're stuck, and we can't move forward. He's saying here to lay aside those weights, those sin that entangle us, and then begin running this race with endurance. King James says, patience. The race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, keeping your eyes fixed on him. Say, looking unto Jesus. There's the key right there. Keeping your eyes fixed on him. What weighs you down? What slows you down? What is encumbering you? Talk more about this in a little bit. This is uh, Luke 10, verse 38 through 42, out of the Geneva Bible. If you've never read this Bible, this is the Bible the pilgrims used. They refused to use the King James because they were not going to read anything that was authorized by a tyrant. And so they had this Bible that was written in Geneva. Geneva. Now, it came to pass, as they went, they entered into a certain town, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his preaching. But Martha was cumbered. There's that word again, encumbrance. She was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Master, dost thou not care that my sister have left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou carest and art troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. If you've got a pen, underline that right there. One thing is needful. Mary hath chosen, underline the word chosen, the good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now we're going to read this out of the Message Bible. I love how it brings it out here. As they continued to travel, Jesus entered a village, and a woman by the name of Martha, what'd she do? Welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister Mary who sat before the master. Hanging on every word, he said. But Martha was pulled away by all that she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Master, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. The master said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much (laughs) and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing, underline that there, one thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It is the main course and won't be taken from her. Now, I can't tell you the number of times in 40 years of ministry that I've had people come to me doing the same thing. Says, this person's doing this to me and will you, will you deal with it? And uh, I remember one time I had a, someone in our church call me one day on the phone and said, this person's doing this, this person's doing that, and this person's doing this. And I said, okay. I said, I want you to know that once I finish this phone call with you, I'm calling up this person. And telling them everything that you just told me. No, you can't do that. I said, how can you settle differences? You're wanting me to step in when you two are the ones who need to come together. And so I did. I did exactly what I, was gonna, I told her I would do. I did it. And lo and behold, if they didn't become friends after that, because they had to get together and iron out their differences. It's a powerful word there. Many people are like Martha, that they get their identity through serving or through helping or through ministry. And there's nothing wrong with serving and helping and ministry. We need to do that. I've done my share of it in the last 40, 50 years. Still do. And, But a lot of people get their identity, who they are, comes out of how they serve or what they serve and Wanting the accolades of men and the pats on the back of men because they've done a good job. Wanting somebody to say, man, you've done such an awesome job. And I understand that. I think honor should be given to where honor is due. But I never think that flattery should be given at any time. Because flattery is false truth. I've gone to many churches over the years and they will flatter, especially me. They would do everything they can to flatter you and make you feel big and important and stuff like this. You know, and I went to one church, and everybody in the church had a title. There was missionary this and evangelist this and pastor this and elder this and, every, and reverend this. Everybody had a title. And I'm not opposed to titles. Not at all. Some people are. I don't think that you have to have them. But if you use them, I'm not opposed to them. But I got in the pulpit, and this is the last time I preached at that church. I got in the pulpit and I said this right here. I said, I don't care if you carry titles, but you better carry the anointing that title says that you carry. If if it says that you're prophet such and such, if I understand prophecy right in the office of a prophet, a prophet can operate in prophecy at any time. A prophet, a real prophet, can come read your mail right now. Now, prophetic people, which I am and a lot of you are. We can't read everybody's mail right now, but a prophet can. Now, and so a lot of them, they were, what they were doing was receiving their identity through their titles. Hello. Their identity came through their titles. When identity comes through titles, it's a disaster for your life. Or when an identity comes through your serving, it's a disaster for your life that's waiting to happen. Because at some point, you're not going to get the pat on the back. At some point, somebody's not going to like what you're doing. At some point, somebody's going to treat you dishonorably, even in spite of what you've done. It's funny how people, you can do things for them in abundance over the years, and then all of a sudden, you mess up with them one time, and they write you off. Well, you better be on that cross with Jesus during that time. See, getting our identity through ministry, Patty touched about this when she was prophesying and praying a moment ago, is just like eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It comes from a works-based identity, which made the New Testament such a new wineskin because the Old Covenant was a works-based identity, but the New Covenant was identity that was found in Jesus Christ. It wasn't found in works, it was found in Him. And so identity through Christ, who represents the tree of life, which is what we want to pick from, that tree of life, we want to eat from that. Our identity has to be found in him. Jesus talked about in the Gospels in several different places that if a man seeks his life, he will lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake and the Gospel, he will find it. That means it's not about you. Let's look at the one thing. Let let me back up here. Let me back up to this scripture here. Jesus said to Martha, that there's one thing that is essential. Now, I can just imagine his rebuke was, I, I know it was filled with the Holy Ghost, but he was trying to bring this lady back into proper alignment, get her under the plumb line, because she was living under the line of serving only. And he said, only one thing is essential. And I can see uh, Mary right now sitting at the feet of Jesus, hanging on every word that he prophesied. Every word that he was saying, Mary was hanging on this word. Years ago when Cheryl and I lived in Alabama and we were in our 20s, we had a prophet come to our church named T.W. McGraw. And this guy had traveled with uh, Smith Wigglesworth and Lester Summerall. That shows you how old he was at that time. He was in his 80s, back in the 70s. But we invited him to our house to eat venison and whatever else Cheryl cooked. We're from Alabama. Most of what we ate came out of the woods or out of the lakes or rivers. Uh, We did eat some beef and chicken, but a lot of it came from uh, what God provided. And uh, we had served him venison that day. And I remember him sitting, I I put him in my recliner. And whenever you get in my recliner, you have reached the top, okay? (laughs) Whenever I let you sit there, you have reached a place of importance to me. And so, but I get on the floor in front of him because he starts telling me about the times, you remember this, Cheryl? The times with Smith Wigglesworth, the times with Lester Summerall. And I'm sitting there as a young pup in the Lord, soaking up every bit of everything he has to say. This is why I've invited Pam's uncle to come. He's 90 years old. Maybe he'll live to 100, maybe 110. Who knows? But I want him to come to us because he's seen the revival fires of God throughout the years. And I, I told his secretary the other day, I said, I want him to impart to us. I want to sit at this guy's feet who's had God move in his life so much. This is what Mary was doing. He said, there's one thing that's essential, one thing that's a priority. And then he says something else very important. He says, Mary's chosen that. Now, he didn't say it, but he was also, in essence, saying, Martha, you've not chosen that one thing. He was saying, this is what I want you to choose The one thing that is essential. Let's read on now. Psalms 27, verses 4 through 6. Here's the one thing I crave from the Lord, from God. This is out of the Passion Translation. The one thing I seek above all else. I want the privilege of living with Him every moment in His house. Finding the sweet loveliness of his face, face, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. I want to live my life so close to him that he takes pleasure in every prayer. In his his shelter in the day of trouble, that's where you're going to find me, for he hides me there in his holiness. He has smuggled me into his secret place where I am kept safe and secure, out of reach from all my enemies. Triumphant now, I'll bring my offerings of praise, singing and shouting with ecstatic joy. Yes, listen, and you can hear the fanfare of my shouts of praise to the Lord. Here, the psalmist is telling us listen, there's only one thing I want, and that's just to be with God. Now, he wasn't talking about the rapture, he wasn't talking about dying, he wasn't talking about any of those things. He's talking about being with God right now. I want to be with the Lord. I want to soak up everything that he has to tell me about him. I don't care if he doesn't tell me anything about me. I want to soak up everything that he is about who he is. You know, I was looking at this the other day. Whenever the Lord begins speaking to Jacob. He's telling Jacob what he was going to do. Then Jacob came back and said, if you do this for me, I will serve you. And I thought, how narcissistic is that? If you will do this for me, I will serve you. Later on, after he was transformed, God speaks to him again and he says, I'm going to follow you. In basic, in essence, I'm going to do it, whatever you say. Because his life had been transformed. He went from an old wineskin to a new wineskin. One thing is needed, and I'm going to go after that one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. Paul put it like this. Forgetting those things that are behind. In other words, he's leaving the encumbrances behind. And pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God that is in Christ Jesus. He went on to say, he says, I've not attained, I've not apprehended, but I want to apprehend that for which I have been apprehended for. Woo, that's a good word. A-, a good book for you is called The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee. If you've never read this book, you just need to stop and read it again. Another good book is The Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. These two books right here will change your life, shift your wineskin. What was the name of the books? Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee, Tale of uh, of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. The one thing is really a kingdom thing. Jesus spoke, and he said in Matthew 6, he said, Do not worry then, saying, What shall we eat, or what what shall we drink, or what, what, what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly fathers know that you have need of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now we're talking about streamlining. Most of the church today, when you look at our focus our focus has been primarily focused on our needs. We even choose whether or not we'll go to a church based on whether or not it's meeting our needs. And we've created a dysfunction there. We've created a consumer society within the church rather than a kingdom society that focuses on Christ. We as believers, primary focus is on our needs. A lot of that Simple things like food, water, clothing, shelter, protection, security, preservation, significant self-actualization. We all want that. Most of us have the food, water, and clothing. If you don't, we'll help you. Most of you have shelter. If you don't, we'll find somebody you can live with. Most of you have protection. Some of you may not have Security. Not because you don't feel secure in your home, but because you feel insecure in yourself. Some may or may not have preservation or feel like they're a part of the whole. Others have significance or maybe they feel they have no significance. Another need that we focus on is self-actualization, and we would call that today knowing who you are in Christ I like to say it better this way because when you say it that way the focus is on you knowing who Christ is in you is a better way to say it rather than who I am in Christ knowing who Christ is in you is a better way to say this so we choose a church based on needs we have become such a consumer oriented body of Christ and I'm talking about the body at large is that we seek out, as leaders and pastors, we seek out needy people who need us. Something I want to say here. Okay, I will. I'll say it. I I think I can say it right. We always seek out people that are unhealthy, but we never are able to make them healthy. And one of the reasons is our focus is on our needs. And so as leaders and pastors, we go to them and we say, we can meet your needs. If you come here, I promise we'll meet your needs. And it all is a lie. Because that pastor, that apostle, that leader is not able to meet anybody's needs because you're looking in the wrong tree. You're looking at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Make me feel significant. I've had people come to, Brother Ken, I think I'm going to leave your church because I don't feel like I'm getting fed here anymore. You ever thought about opening the Bible and feeding yourself? I do. Feed yourself. I don't feel like I'm wanted here. Why are you going to let the devil continue to talk to you that way? Those are words from the enemy. Now I could just go and say, "Oh, come up here, Brian. I just feel like loving on you today, man. Oh, man, can I kiss you? Sure. <laughs> are you all right? I'm good. Oh uh, well, you know, maybe not. I could, I could use some help. Can you help I can me? help you. Yeah. I can help you, man. Good. I can help you. Listen, you just look to me." I'm I'm the leader. You look to me and I'll meet all of your needs. Now, this is a lie from the enemy. Because this man or this woman in leadership cannot meet his needs. Thank you. But one of the other reasons that we as leaders do that is because we want to keep the ties coming in. And so we will pet their devils, I mean their attitudes, Just so that the ties keep coming in. See, Jesus said there's only one thing that you need to go after. See, our religion of Christianity, I'm going to say it like this. Our religion of Christianity shifts our focus from relationship with the Father to what we can get from the Father. Did you know this, that the Bible never teaches you to go after your needs? Especially from what we just read. It never teaches, it never tells the church or the preachers to preach about the needs. Not that the Lord won't meet needs. He will. Jesus said that all these things will be added unto you. They'll come to you. They will. But our Christianity religion, and I said that on purpose shifts us from our focus of kingdom relationship with the Father and puts it on what I can get from Him to fill my needs. I know some of you don't even know this song. Well, I I, I probably make some people mad. There are a lot of songs out there that are half-truth. And I'm not going to mention the songs. I was going to mention a couple of them, but you probably sing them, so I won't mess with your demon today or your idol. But a lot of them are filled with half-truth that focus on you. When I, I was telling Alicia what I like is vertical worship. Vertical worship is where I'm focused on the king, not something that focuses on me or focuses on you, you're my brother. I will do one. You're my sister, so take me by the hand. How many of you remember that chorus? Together we will work till he comes. So there's two focuses there. One is getting out of here. And the other focus is on me and you. And there's just a lot of them like that. Some of them, that used to, they used to sing in, uh, I, I, I don't want to mess with you any more yeah. than that. Our Christian religion shifts our focus. And because of that, we have created a narcissistic Christian religion that focuses on people rather than on Jesus. Now, I'm not going to tell you that the Lord won't meet your need. But our focus as a whole should not be on that. Our focus should be on the king. And if the king meets your need, then he's done it. doing good here the Bible never teaches us to go after our needs but to go after his kingdom and right alignment For it says his righteousness right alignment with him let me say this again the Bible never teaches us to go after our needs but to go after his kingdom and right alignment with him So here's our priority is kingdom first. Our priority is the kingdom of God first, not me first, not you first, but our priority is the kingdom of God. It's the number one priority. People prioritize their lives. We live our lives in priority. Many times we spend the vast majority of our time doing things that make no difference, it accomplishes very little. We're busy. Well, we don't accomplish a lot because we're just flowing in the busyness. Kingdom, not religion. Let me ask this question first Do your needs come first or does His kingdom come first? And I can, I can hear religious minds thinking right now saying, It is about our needs being met. No, it's not. Show me in the scripture. Where, where that is released and say, stated. It's about his kingdom and his right alignment. Then all these things are added unto you. Now, you've heard me tell this story, but when God gave me that Jeep Liberty in 2003, my bank was given away five. Cheryl and I were preparing for a US 1 Liberty prayer tour. And, uh, and we won this Jeep. I never prayed for that Jeep one time. I never said, God, give me that Jeep. My bank was giving away five, so I put three tickets, didn't cost me a thing, into a basket. And then I, I won the first out of the five, number one. But I didn't go after that Jeep. I put around 260,000 miles on it, and there was a mechanic said to me, he says, these, these Jeeps don't last that long. That was 2003, I think, may have been the first or second year they came out with a Jeep. That Jeep Liberty, rather. And uh, he says, these things don't last that long. How do you have 260,000 miles on this Jeep? I said, there's two things. He says, what are they? I said, one, I change the oil in it every 3,000 miles. He said, what's the other? I said, God gave it to me. (laughs) So why wouldn't it last? Kingdom, not religion, has been the priority from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. I'll say this again. He put man in a kingdom. Let me say that again. God put Adam and Eve in a kingdom and gave them a choice. Now, if you go back and look at the scriptures we read about Mary and Martha, you can see the two choices in the Garden of Eden. One is the choice of being cumbered about with many things, which is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. The other one is sitting at the feet of Jesus and saying, you know, all these things don't really matter. I'm going to go after him. Tree of life. So it's not that you won't get those things. It just don't go after those things. If you look with me in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, we're going to read it in the New American Standard, then we're going to read it in the Message Bible. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of sea and over the birds of the sky and over all the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Several things here we're going to bring out in just a minute, but let's read out of the Message Bible. I love what it says here. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature. So, they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and yes, the earth itself and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings, He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said, Prosper, produce, fill the earth, take charge. Be responsible for the fish of the sea, birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. You've heard me do the kingdom message and how that God is releasing and giving to us here authority and dominion within the earth. You have dominion throughout the earth. The only thing you don't have dominion over is me or somebody else because you can't exercise that. And When you try to, what you're doing then is usurping authority and you have stepped into a Jezebel arena and you don't want to do that of manipulation. Several things I want to bring out here is that you are like God. No, I'm not, Brother Kent. Yeah, you are. He said it. He said it. Years ago when I was young and immature in the Lord, and I'm still, I'm not mature yet. I'm still going after the Lord. None of you are fully mature yet in the Lord. You're still going after God. You haven't reached your your apex. You're still going after him. You're still maturing. But I used to say to the Lord, Lord, I want to be just like Moses. He'd say, you are. I said, Lord, I want to be like Abraham. He'd say, I want to be like David. I remember one time I said, Lord, I want to be like Elijah. And he says, as a matter of fact, you're exactly like him. (laughs) Uh, I said, Lord, (laughs) listen, God and I have a wonderful relationship. It's not religious at all. I said, Lord, you don't understand what I'm talking about. I said, I want to be just like these people. And then he took me to the scripture in James where it says, Elijah was was a man with a nature or a passion like ours. And he prayed that it would not rain and it did not rain for three years and six months. And then the Bible says he prayed again and it began raining. But all during that space of three years and six months, we find this man in a cave running from Jezebel Thinking, giving up hope, thinking everything's gonna fall by the wayside. But God didn't see him that way. God saw him godlike. And I'm gonna use this Elijah guy within the earth. As a matter of fact, you know, Elisha did more miracles than Elijah. But Elijah's talked more about in the New Testament than Elisha is. Think about this. And I can tell you what I think, why I think he is, is because he was a father. To another generation of prophets. He raised up Jehu. He raised up uh, Elisha. So listen, you're just like him. But he wants you and I to begin ruling and reigning. And to do that, we've got to streamline our life. We've got to get rid of some of these obstacles and parasite drags that has been dragging us down. We've got to realign our life. And we've got to begin realizing that we are in a kingdom. I have not been put on this earth and saved just to go to heaven. As a matter of fact, and i will probably upset some of you, that's okay. God didn't save you to take you to heaven. Jesus didn't die on a cross to take you to heaven. Now, that's part of what we experience. One of the benefits. But he died on a cross and he saved you. So that he could bring back Acts 1, 26 through 28 into your life. And that so you could begin operating like he is in the earth. It's a powerful word there. See, we're all, we're all saying, Lord, I'd be glad when I get to heaven. Listen, if you ever see heaven, you want to go there. Because I've seen it. You want to go there. But I know that my time here is not done. Mary Bruder from New Orleans, she comes here every once in a while. And when I was under the attack of the enemy and the enemy was trying to kill me, she said to me, she said, it's not your time yet, Ken. Quit worrying about this. You're going to be fine. Matthew 6.33. Hello. We'll say this again. She said, Ken, it's not your time. You're not going anywhere. Don't worry about this. God's got this. Matthew 6.33. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Chuck Pierce calls me on the phone. I'm waiting for a great revelation, something that's going to minister to me and bring me out of the trauma I have been in, the PTSD I was in. Chuck Pierce calls me and he says, Lord, give Ken a voice in the midst of of, uh, trauma, chaos. I'm thinking, what kind of word is this? (laughs) I need a word that's about me. Lord, lift me out of this. Lord, give Ken a word in the time of chaos and trauma. A voice. I'm thinking, my Lord, I need something more than that. He's made you like him. He wants you to begin to rule. He wants you to begin reflecting his nature. He created them male and female. Let me share this with you. And I'm going to probably upset some more idols here. Did you know that i got to say this properly. Man and woman were never created to be at at each other's odds. You know how men are. You know women. How many times have you ever heard that? How many times have you ever said that? It's not the way God created us. He created both man and woman. Male and female in the image of God. As a matter of fact before the fall. They did not have arguments and knockdown, down drag out fights. They understood each other. When we walk in the spirit. We begin understanding one another as well. So that this, there's not this contention between man and woman. One of the things that. One of the things that Cheryl and I never do, we never, if she and I are having challenges and difficulty, you'll never hear me tell you about it, because that's not the place to tell somebody. I'm going to bring it to her. She's the same way. We're at odds with each other, and and you've heard me say this. That any time I feel like the Lord has spoken to me to do something, I bring it to her, and if she's not in agreement, I don't do it. Now I've watched some of these young preachers here, men primarily, and get married, and they'll say, "She won't submit to me. I won't say what I want to say. How can she submit to a J.A.?" And you've never really read that scripture there in Ephesians 5. By the way, tomorrow, uh, Monday night, tomorrow night is, I think, another one of the women's things. I'm going to be on there talking about women in ministry how, and how awesome I believe that it is. But you've never read Ephesians 5 fully where it says there, and the men look at this, wives submit to your husbands. Yeah, you better do exactly what I say, Cheryl. You me show you this scripture here. <laughs> Cheryl and I have worked through this, but you did not read the verse before. The verse before says, "Submitting yourselves one to another." Now, don't take it out of context because he goes into the context of man and woman. So you can't take that out of context there. The context, context is still a man and woman. He says, submitting yourselves one to another. Likewise, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. You have to look at also, he was speaking to a, the a, a Ephesus church there who had an issue that people were not submitting to one another. See, I, I submit to Cheryl. Cheryl submits to me. It's not a one-sided deal. And yet some of you that's got this macho thing going on, You just, you you hadn't read the Bible correctly. I'm trying to be nice. And it also says that husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. means that he was willing to lay himself down for it. Created us as human beings, as male and female. And then he said to them, and this applies in the spirit here to us, Prosper. Reproduce. I love this. Prosper. 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 Not poverty. 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 Church of God used to sing this song. I probably shouldn't have named names, but I did. <clears throat> Living below in this old sinful world, hardly a comfort can afford. <laughs> Striving alone to face temptation sore, where could I go but to the Lord? Now that song is filled with anything but prosperity. And is filled with self. Remember the first time I heard that song, I said, I'll never <laughs> sing it again. I will not sing it again. And there's some others I won't sing either. Because he wants his church. Now, we got to streamline in 2019 for prosperity. Not talking about finding your identity in loans, finding your identity in alliance with him. Become prosperous with him. People get to thinking when I start talking about getting money, and they'll say, they'll come to me and say, Brother Ken, look what God gave me. I got a brand new car. How much are your payments? I said, well, payments around $700 a month. God didn't give that to you. If God gave that to you, it wouldn't cost you a dime. Prosper doesn't mean go out and get a loan. Prosper means that He wants you to prosper, That He becomes your provider, your Jehovah Jireh. Then he says, reproduce. In other words, make after. See, everything was in the likeness of God until the fall. And see, he wants you and I to begin reproducing spiritually where we're raising up kingdom people, not needy people. Kingdom people. We're streamlining for 2019. To reproduce, fill the the earth. I started to say the church. Fill the earth <clears throat> and then have dominion over every animal. It moves on the face of the earth and even the earth itself. <clears throat> I've been saying this for a couple of years now and I'll say it again. There's not a carbon footprint issue in the world. There's a sin issue in the world. And you deal with a sin issue through 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And when you do, the ozone hole will begin to fill back in. You won't see the, the, the earth is in the shape that it's in because it's groaning and travailing waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. Somebody s- said to me a while back, said after, back in 2004 when we had all those hurricanes, they said, something's wrong with the earth. I said, you're absolutely right. You don't know what it is. They said, yeah. I said, it's sin. You deal with that. And Jesus even talked about it in the scripture before 2 Chronicles 7, 14, 12, 13, 14. He said, if you start finding yourself in drought, finding yourself in famine, finding yourself this way, if my people will humble themselves. Praise God. I want to close with this. as a prophetic word picture of who we are this year. Cheryl and I watched the movie Secretariat the other day, and God began speaking to me big time. This scripture is actually used in that movie. But how Secretariat was so streamlined. And they did an autopsy on him after his death, I think I forget when it was. You remember when it was? And his heart was twice the size of a heart of a normal horse, double in size. When he won the uh, last race, you got the, the Kentucky Derby. What's the other two? Belmont. When he, Belmont's the last one they do. When he won the Belmont, he beat the horse by twelve links, horse links. Twelve horses, he was in front of the one that he beat. One that he beat was was they thought would win this thing because. They didn't think that he was an endurance horse because this was a mile and a half track. But he had more heart. He had more desire. Look at this prophetic picture. Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locusts? His majestic snorting is terrible. He paws in the valley and rejoices in strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him. The flashing spear and javelin. With shaking and rage, he races over the ground. He does not stand still at the voice of the trumpet. As often as the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! And he scents. The battle from afar, and the thunder of the captains, and the war cry. This, my friend, is who we are. Just like this horse mentioned right here, that we're not afraid of the battle. We're not afraid of the war that's going on. As a matter of fact, when it's going on and we we smell it, we say, aha, this is why I'm here. Listen, God wants to streamline you in 2019. Streamline your life. We're going into three days of consecration beginning on Wednesday at noon. And in this three days of consecration, this is an opportunity for you to get rid of that parasite drag. And I want you to come up here and be here as much as you can. Those of you that work, if you can just come for an hour each day. Maybe... At, come at 9 or come at eight, at 8 at 9. It doesn't matter. If you could just come and just lay before the Lord. Because we, we have no agenda in these three days except going after God. That's all we're going to do. No agenda. Say no agenda. no agenda. We're going after the Lord. Matter of fact, we're going to be like Mary. We're not going to get like Martha. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about all the worship teams gelling and going together. God's got this. He's got this. Don't worry about it if everybody's going to be here on time or maybe some people are late. Don't worry about it. We're going to be married. We're going to get in front of Jesus and we say, Lord, we're just submitting ourselves to you. We're consecrating our lives to you. Help us get rid of this parasite drag. He's got this. Stand to your feet.